All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, coaches, parents, players. Welcome to this week's episode, 8020 Baseball. On this week's episode, I will share out my three key takeaways that I'd like to share with you. The three key takeaways from Coach Tommy Hansen's interview over the last two weeks. We're going to listen in to Joey Votto talk about his hitting approach. And this hitting approach that he uses, I truly believe is a hitting approach that will be successful at every level, all the way down to the youngest of players. So I will splice in a few clips of Joey Votto sharing out his hitting approach, and then we'll discuss it. I have a quote from the great Lou Brock. How many of you remember Lou Brock? Many of you remember Lou Brock, or you remember the name Lou Brock. I have a great quote that we can all learn from as coaches. And in part two, I'm going to share out a tip, a way to help train your outfielders to prevent more runs from scoring. We'll get into that in part two. So the three key takeaways from Tommy Hansen, the strength and conditioning coach, Tommy Hansen, who came on the last two weeks and shared out his wisdom. I first want to say this. I reached out to Tommy and he got back to me immediately. I reached out. I said, hey, I'd love to have you on. Immediately he responded, yes, I'm in. He said, I'd love to come on and share. He said, I'd love to come on and share some of the wisdom that he's learned with all of you, with all of us. And that was really great. He literally responded immediately. Within an hour or so, he just responded, said, I'm in. I truly believe Tommy Hansen, who's out in Illinois, he's an up and coming strength and conditioning coach in the baseball world. He does train other athletes, of course, like he said on the interview. He does other athletes, but his career was in baseball. He played high-level baseball, college baseball. And when I say high-level, college baseball is high-level baseball. And not only did he study and train under one of the best baseball strength and conditioning coaches in the country out at TCU, his MO, in other words, his foundational coaching principles are directly in line with all of ours here at 8020 Baseball. He's upbeat, he's positive, but he's also realistic. I love his approach and it was so great to get him on. And here are the three key takeaways that I got that I took away. There are more takeaways for sure, but these are the three key that takeaways that I've pulled out and I just wanted to hit on these and then we'll move to part one, Joey Votto talking hitting. Number one, competition lifts the energy level and the level of intent. By adding competition, by infusing competition into practice, it raises the energy level, the speed of the practice, the speed of the drill, the speed of the training. It increases the intent as Tommy likes to say. And I'll tell you what, if you raise those, we all know if you raise those parts of practice, you're likely to get a much better quality practice. You're likely to have your players get a lot more out of it and play more at game speed than not. Number two, a lot of single leg work. We hit on this a little bit in the interview, but this is more something if you already started following Tommy Hansen, I know he's big on the Instagram, but he has a YouTube channel, Tommy Hansen, just type in Tommy Hansen baseball and you'll see a lot of single leg work videos being done. He does a lot of single leg work and we discussed it. We've discussed that on this podcast before. That's a big one. So he's big on single leg work. I know he didn't hit on it a lot in the interview, but that's a lot of the stuff behind what he does in terms of his specific exercises that he uses with his players. Now, of course, he uses a wide variety of exercises and training methods and modalities, but single leg work is a big one. The third key takeaway that I got from it that I want to just recap and review and share out because this is stuff that we should be using and taking out and using it with our teams, our players, or our kid. Number three, try to get a strength and conditioning coach involved with your kid and your team when and if possible to assess and support your kid or your team. If you can get your kid or your team or your team members, or I should say players into 
a strength and conditioning coach for one-on-one or small group work, that's optimal, that's ideal. But since that's not always an option, that's just not an option for everybody, of course, you could bring a strength and conditioning coach out to your team practice like we hit on during the interview, or you could even bring your team in if you have access to or somebody in your area that's a qualified strength and conditioning coach that understands sports and youth sports and even better if it's baseball. If you could bring them as a team into their facility and bringing them in as a team, there's a couple advantages to group training and team training. One, right off the bat, it's just it's going to cost less per player. Just you can spread out evenly. You can disperse the cost amongst 12 kids, 10 kids, and definitely makes it a lot cheaper. If you're spending more than 15 bucks a kid per session for your that's you're paying too much, in my opinion, unless it's somebody who's just getting absolute golden results. And if you're getting golden results, it's not a bad reason to pay a little bit more. But if each kid, say you had 12, put in 10 bucks, you give the coach 120 bucks, you go in there for two hours or 90 minutes. That seems to be a pretty fair amount. Now, I'm not a strength and conditioning coach in terms of what to charge and what the fair market rate is for the coach in your area for their expertise and things like that. But just keep that in mind as a ballpark. You can definitely spread out those costs rather than going and training with a strength and conditioning coach with just one athlete for say an hour that might cost you 50 60 70 bucks you can spread it out 10 bucks a kid 15 bucks a kid and get some quality strength and conditioning training done albeit not as individualized of course but definitely something that can work so getting into a strength and conditioning coach or having a strength and conditioning coach come out to your practices and work the first hour with your team or go in to a strength and conditioning facility or a facility that a strength and conditioning coach is at that's qualified that you feel comfortable going to or at least want to test out go in there for 90 minutes or two hours i think two hours is a bit much but 90 minutes you go in there for 90 minutes as your second or third practice of the week a lot of teams most teams at youth baseball have allocated practice times field times well if you go to a strength and conditioning coach typically leagues don't limit that they don't put restrictions on that so much and if they do you should talk to the board members of the league and say hey the strength and conditioning components super important for the health and safety of our players obviously it's going to help them play better and win more games ultimately if it's done right. So what I'm trying to say is it's not or shouldn't be an issue if you add a third practice or if you have one field practice a week. Most teams have two field practices a week or one batting practice and then a field practice. If you could add a third one at least for a month or six weeks towards the beginning of the season, that's not a bad idea. Or one a week every other week or one a week throughout the season. I'm just throwing these out. Every team's different. Every situation's different. Every level and team is going to be a little different. Just throwing these ideas out so you can take them and run with them. I like to throw out the parameters and the ideas, the tips, the things that do work and let you take them and mold them and infuse them into your team schedule and what your team needs and you know the restrictions and constraints where you live and things like that. So those are the three things, the three takeaways, the three main takeaways, not the only three things, of course. There were definitely more things that I think we got out of that Tommy Hansen interview. Just really liked that interview, but those were my three key takeaways. One, infuse competition when you can because it just inherently brings up the energy level, the intent level to single leg work. Try to infuse single leg work into your training, even with seven and eight, nine U single leg work. Just don't put weight on them. Just do a bunch of single leg exercises. That in and of itself will strengthen those legs, work their balance. That's a big thing, getting that balance better. And then number three, try to get a strength and conditioning coach to assess and support your kid when you can, if you can, and think about using the group rate or trying to get it together as a group. The other benefit, and I didn't hit on what the group is, there's the cost. I apologize. I'm going to go back. The second part of running it with a group is that the coach can do competitions. The strength and conditioning coach can do like Tommy's doing competitions. It's much harder to do competitions with just one athlete than it is multiple. You can do it with one athlete.
remotely, but much easier to do it with a group or in a group environment to run competitions. So running practices or running training sessions with more than one player is much easier for the coach in terms of raising the intent level. Of course, the individualization is a little less or a lot less, but you're not talking about pitching mechanics or swing here. You're talking about general strength and conditioning. So if you're going to do a group session, this is the time, in my opinion, to do it. Those are my three takeaways right there. I will be including the 80-20 baseball strength and conditioning plan, a field strength and conditioning plan that you can do at the field in the coaching course that I'm currently building out and it will be launched soon. Email me if you'd like to be notified when that launches. Email me, just send me an email, coachbo at 8020baseball.com or go over to the website, 8020baseball.com, go to the contact page, say, hey, I just want to be on the list. Let me know when that launches and you'll be the first to know. All right, moving forward to Joey Votto talking, hitting. Now, Joey Votto, he's been in the league about 15, 16 years. He has the fifth highest wins above replacement war. In in other words, his value to his team is the fifth most of any active player and it's 146th all time. So he's the 146th most valuable player in major league history. To give you some context, there's been over 20,000 major league players. There's been over 20,000 major league players in history, in the history of major league baseball. And he is 146th in terms of production. That's pretty impressive. He's got over 2,000 hits, about 350 home runs, batting average right around 300 for those of you that like batting average. He scores runs, he drives in runs, his on-base percentage in his career is 412. His on-base percentage is 412. His OPS, his on-base plus slugging is 926, way above average. I want to say like the average Major League Baseball players, like the average players like 740. 50 for the OPS right in there. So he's substantially higher. His OPS plus, which is a good stat is 145. The league average is 100. So he's 145 and the league average is 100. So I don't want to dive too much into those stats, but he's definitely had a wonderful career. And I'm going to splice in him sharing out some stuff on hitting that I got from Twitter. TJ Hannum, TJ Hannum posted these two quotes. So I'm, I got them from TJ. So I want to give credits to, he's a good follow, TJ Hannum, H-A-N-N-A-M. Good follow on Twitter. It's actually Trey Hannum, but he goes, it's at TJ Hannum 10, at TJ Hannum 10 on Twitter. And he posted these two and I'm going to splice them in. Here's Joey Votto talking, hitting. This is about four minutes, three, four minutes, but it's gold in my opinion. Here we go approach the plate like I want to know what's your approach to plate like what are you thinking when you're up there you got this intensity about you but what's your approach at the plate that's a pretty complicated question okay I'll keep it simple uh well first of all I make sure I do all my behind the scenes stuff and you and I have talked several times about uh the importance of getting in your work prepping every day making sure that your swing is locked in so you can take the swings on the pitches you're looking for and not miss because that's us as ball players we only get so many opportunities every single day we play to put something in play with some heat right okay so I make sure I do all my work beforehand to give me the confidence and to have the swing every single day when I step in the batter's box the second thing I do I try to make sure that I pay attention to what the pitcher's throwing, watch his video, and pick out the pitches that I can handle. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a fastball. It doesn't have to be that grooved 90-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle or away or whatever. It can be any pitch as long as I can handle it and do damage. And I take the at-bat, and I take steps down. So at the very beginning of the at-bat, I'm thinking about something I can hammer through the gap. And as the at-bat ticks down and it, I, my back become more against the wall, my back gets pushed more against the wall, I try to do less during the at-bat. And until I get to two strikes and I'm I'm just trying to put the ball and play hard, try to not strike out and do something for my team. I want to know, what is your approach to plate? Like, what are you thinking when you're up there? You got this intensity about you. 
All right, that was clip one. Let's break it down. So he said he's looking for pitches early in the count that he can do damage with. I get this even more specific with less than two strikes, with less than two strikes, pitches he can do damage with. So he said he's looking early in the count, pitches he can do damage with. Now he said it, interestingly enough, I don't agree with 100% of one, how he explained it. And two, I don't I don't agree with the one of the things I'll hit on in a second, but I love Joey Votto's approach. Doesn't mean I agree with all of it. And I think that's important. There's nuances here. One, I think he's a little convoluted with how he explains it here. If you listen closely, he really says early in the count, and then he says when my back's against the wall, what all he really needs to do is say, with less than two strikes, I'm looking for a pitch I can do damage with, which is his own words. I'm looking to do, or he said early in the count, keep it simple to your kids, with less than two strikes, looking for a pitch that you can do some damage with. That means drive a line drive, basically hit the ball hard. Look for a pitch you can hit the ball hard. Keep it simple for your kids. And Joey Votto is one of the smartest hitters out there, and even he can't explain it in a way that now, the nice thing is I've been in baseball so long and I've heard these so many times, thousands and thousands of times, and I can understand, I can break it down and say, well, what he's really saying is, and I'm not hypothesizing here, this is really what he's saying, early in the count, and then he jumps to when my back's against the wall, so when I get to two strikes. So I think what he should just say is, with less than two strikes, I'm looking for a pitch I can do some damage with, and even that, damage, what's damage? Damage is an abstract, that's not very clear. Again, I love Joey Votto, he's one of my favorite players, I love him. I wish he was mic'd up every game, I think he's one of the smartest smartest players, smartest hitters there is. I love them, but I'm just trying to be fair. And so you can see how hard it is for a youth coach. Somebody doesn't follow baseball, doesn't have 30 some years of experience in the game to say, hey, damage. And then you take this out and you tell your kids, hey, you know, early in the count, do damage. Well, first off, what's early in the count and what exactly is damage? Eight-year-olds, some might get it. Some, you could get a lot of different definitions or understandings of that. I'm just saying, this is how it works. This is how it will work because I've seen this over the years and there's so many, it's like, hey, you ask your team, hey, what did you get out of that? What do you, what's early in the count? Oh, first pitch, first two pitches. What if it's still less than two strikes, but you're on pitch five because it's three and one count. You could be on pitch five, but was pitch five early in the count? No, it's not early in the count. If you're thinking early in the count of the first three pitches, but it's three and one, why wouldn't you be looking for a pitch you can do damage with three and one? It's three and one, that's a hitter's count. You see where I'm going with this? And those of you that have been listening to this long enough, understand, I'm not trying to come here and give you stuff that's out there all over the place that's been just rehearsed rehashed all around. I'm trying to take a really smart hitter and even make it better, his message even better. Now, he may be keeping back his some of his, because he's playing as a job, as a career, so they're not always too quick to share their secrets. That's why I'm here. I, I'm not out there trying to build a career in one. I'm not a coach at the major league level. There's so much proprietary knowledge they can't talk about, even at the college level. There's way too much money involved with it. They're not going to share out all their secrets. That's their livelihood. If they give their secrets out or all their top secrets out, then their opponents have it and then they can use it against them. I don't have an opponent. I'm here to support all of you. I don't have an opponent, so I have an advantage. That's something I probably should have said episode one. That's why I can come out and share all this stuff with you because I don't need to hold back. I don't have an opponent I'm coaching against necessarily. Like I'm not a college coach that's trying to keep my living, my way of life, or I should say my income up, or I don't want to lose my job because I give away all my secrets or a professional game. They can't. They signed a lot of NDO. They, they can't give away that proprietary stuff. So with Joey Votto, what he says here, and it's interesting how he says it, but at the end of the day, he's saying early in the count, what he means is less than two strikes. He's looking for a pitch to hit. But I wanted to share two things. One, Joey Votto says the same thing that I've talked about. Is It's the 80-20 hitting approach. It's exactly the same as the 80-20 hitting approach. Difference is I've made it simpler. You take all that clutter and, and confusion that even comes from one of the smartest guys in the game. Now, again, he may have been a little confusing on purpose, so he doesn't give away his strategies and tactics. It's a little strange. He's been in the game 15-16. So he doesn't have a whole lot left, but hey, he still wants to keep those tight and maybe he wants to play another 
another five years or so. So maybe he doesn't want to give away all his secrets just yet. His competitive advantage. I don't know, but either way. And as he did say, and I think most of you probably caught that, he said, I just don't want to strike out. And that's the one thing I disagree. I agree with his hitting approach 100%. It's, it's perfectly in line with his hitting approach was essentially our hitting. It's exactly the 80-20 baseball hitting approach in terms of pitch selection. But the way he said it was abstract. It wasn't to the point. It was abstract. It could have been taken a lot of, it would be taken a lot of different ways if you presented that to your team. If you said, hey team, here's our hitting approach. Early in the count, we're looking for pitches we can da do damage on. Or you could say, with less than two strikes, we're looking for pitches that we can hit hard, that we can hit hard, that we can hit line drives, hard one hoppers through the infield, line drive doubles. So with less than two strikes, we're looking for pitches with less than two strikes. It's just a lot more specific. So they have a clear understanding of exactly what the hitting approach is. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. It doesn't mean at all ages, this could be a lot better. And that's why I'm so big, such a, so up on the, the simplicity and the usability and the productivity of the 80-20 hitting approach. Nonetheless, he does get the two strikes or his discussion about two strikes. And he's saying like, I don't want to strike out. And I don't agree with that at all. That part I don't agree with. I don't think your mindset should be thinking about not striking out. Now I'm all for not wanting to strike out as a coach, as a philosophy. So you build your philosophy around, you know, you don't want to strike out. Gotcha. But when you're in the box, the players, when they're in the batter's box, should not be thinking about strikeouts. They should not be thinking about strikeouts. They should be thinking about what to do, not what not to do. I'm not even sure if that's correct English or whatnot, but hey, y'all know what I'm saying. Okay. I love me some Joey Votto so much that I'm going to plug in another, I'm going to splice in another clip here about Joey. And this is about what he's trying to do in terms of hitting it up the middle and what he's trying to do with hitting the ball more about the approach. Again, I love Joey Votto. I think his approach, his discussion is really great. Even there. And even then you saw, I clearly explained some huge flaws with the way he explained it and how it could not be something you could even take and just say, Hey, listen to this to your nine-year-old or your 10-year-old, because there's so much, it's abstract. It's inherently abstract. And that's never how you want to present something. Definitely to a kid, to anybody, because then they can take it and run with it a lot of different directions. You don't want your kids to take his message and interpret it however they, or in a multitude of different ways. You don't want to give them a message, right? That they can then translate into different, into something that's not exactly what you want. You want the message to be clear. So there's no confusion. It's a direct line to what you want. With all that said, here is the second clip of Joey Votto talking, hitting. In the background of this clip, you're going to hear some batting practice going on. So you're going to hear the thwack of the bat. You're going to hear some, some swings going on. So a little harder to hear what he's saying, but you can hear it if you pay attention. You'll get it. Here we go. Joey Votto, round two. Direction for me is like hitting the ball in the middle of the field. Yep. Hitting the ball low. I like when the ball one hops the center fielder. I feel like my swing is at its most direct when I'm hitting the ball through the middle of the field. You know, no ground balls, flares, fly balls, no homers. Everything flat, everything with backspin or a little bit of side spin towards the left side of second base. Just tell myself not to move and I don't try, I don't move. Combined with as much bat speed as possible. So to me, that's two things working against each other. My swing is at its tightest and most efficient when I've got two conflicting things. You know, I want to move towards the ball, but in reality, the ball's moving at me and the more I can stay still, the better. But the more I stay still, the slower my bat is. So trying to fight in my effort, max out my bat speed also staying as put as possible so I can read the ball as it's coming to a good direction. Some great stuff there about the hitting approach from the great Joey Votto. So he talked about 
his approach to where he's trying to drive the ball. He's thinking up the middle. Again, if you're thinking up the middle and there are two strikes and the hitters up there, there's two strikes and that pitcher throws a pitch two or three inches off the outside part of the plate, but that umpire has been calling at a strike and your approach is to drive the ball up the middle. Good luck with that. Good luck trying to get that pitch up the middle. Your best bet is to drive that pitch the other way. If you're a right-handed hitter, your best bet is to just reach out and try to just poke it over the first baseman's head or drive it through the three, four hole into right field for a base hit. Again, that's what two strikes. You're trying to put the ball in play. You're not thinking avoid strikeout. You're actually thinking productively and not defensively, but you're still not going to be able to hit that ball up the middle. Likewise, if there's a pitch on the inside part of the plate, an inch off the corner that the umpire calls a strike or has been calling a strike, good luck trying to hit that pitch consistently up the middle. Unless you're Derek Jeter or a Hall of Fame hitter with a lot of strength in the forearms and wrists and being able to get their inside out swing going, the best bet for most hitters consistently is to look to pull that pitch. Now, pull could be left center field. I'm not saying pull it down the third base line. Left center, you're looking on a pitch in to drive it to left center field. If the pitch is away, right center field, unless it's with two strikes, you might on that outside pitch, which is a common two strike pitch, the outside or just off the plate, hitters need to think, drive that pitch. Just Maybe you're just trying to drive it over the first baseman's head. You're just trying to drive it down the right field line. There's two strikes. Okay, so if you take it, it could be a strikeout. So you're trying to be productive and it's close enough to swing at. If you try to hit that pitch up the middle, good luck. You're probably going to roll over or you're not going to hit it. Definitely not going to hit it if they throw some kind of off-speed pitch because now you're trying to, or I should say the hitter is trying to produce somewhat of a, a pulling action, trying to pull it back towards the middle on a pitch that's slow, that might be moving away from the hitter. Go with the percentages here. So I really like what he's saying, work up the middle and he's thinking line drive. Now he did say no home runs. What he meant was he's not trying to swing for home runs. He's just trying to, and again, I would not teach this just like I would not teach hitters to avoid the strikeout. I would not teach them to get a result in a productive way. I would not teach them to avoid a result in a defensive way. I would not teach hitters their mindset at least to, and as a coach, you can keep that as that's your guiding light or that's your compass. How do we avoid strikeouts and how do we produce runs and do damage? But that's not the message you should share with the hitters. With your hitters, it should be very simple. They should not be thinking about results. They should be thinking about the process. What's the process? Get less than two strikes, get a pitch that you can do some damage on. Well, what is damage? Let's be even more specific. With less than two strikes, let's get a pitch that we can hit a hard ground ball, a hard line drive, and how hard? Not 100% hard every time, but hard enough that has a good chance of getting through the infield or into the gaps or down the lines. And if you hit a home run, awesome. That's icing on the cake. But we're not teaching players to hit home runs. We're teaching players to hit hard doubles. I would teach them to hit hard line drives. I would try to get my hitters to hit hard line drives about five to 10 feet over the infielder's heads in batting practice. In the game, it'll kind of take care of itself if you practice that approach, but that would be my approach or my message is we're trying to get a pitch we can drive hard over the infielder's head, not up in the air, not necessarily over the outfielder's head, and that will come, those will come, the pitch will dictate that, the spin, the bat, the swing. You're gonna drive some, the hitters are gonna drive some off the wall and some over the fence, of course, and they may just hit a few three hoppers, but more often than not, if that's their approach, they're going to have a lot more success. So I wanted to share Joey Votto because I think it's something that we can take, even though he's a major league player and use with any level hitter. And 
also, I like listening to Joey Votto talk. I like how he talks. I think he's really transparent, authentic. That's why I think he was sharing his approach. I just think his approach isn't as clearly defined as it could be. Again, I don't think I've ever heard anybody clearly define it as clear and as specific as a hitting approach should be. You get a lot of variety. You get a lot of this. And I think a lot of, like, he probably thinks it's very clear cut. Hey, get a pitch you can handle. A pitch you can handle is still very abstract. And then do some damage on. That's still not specific, right? That's still not specific because I could think, oh, damage, I'm going to hit hard line drives. Somebody might think one of your players is going to hear that. Some of your players like damage. Oh, home runs. Home runs are damage. You see what I mean? You don't want to leave it up for interpretation. That's not good. They, they need to have a clear cut approach. But with that said, love me some Joey Votto, JV. All right, shifting over to the quote of the week. Quote, show me a guy who's afraid to look bad and I'll show you a guy you can beat every time. Lou Brock. Show me a kid who's afraid to look bad and I'll show you a kid that can be beat every time. I just translated it for youth coaches. You do not want your kids to be afraid to look bad. And that is at the core of the 80-20 baseball coaching MO, principle, foundation, strategies. In fact, this goes hand in hand with what we were discussing a few minutes ago in terms of not thinking of striking out. Lou Brock says it a different way, but it's the same premise. Show me a guy who's afraid to look bad. Show me a hitter who's afraid to strike out and I'll show you a hitter that's going to strike out a lot. That's how you can interpret this. That's really what Lou Brock is saying. And he's saying it in general about baseball and an athlete and sports, but you could get down into the micro and some of the specific examples of this quote and how it would play out. Show me a pitcher who's afraid to walk, who's afraid to not walk a hitter and you're going to get a hitter. I should, sorry, say you're going to get a pitcher that's going to walk a lot of hitters. You're going to get a pitcher that's going to walk quite a few hitters. If they're afraid to not walk somebody, they're probably going to walk more hitters. If hitters are afraid to strike out, they're probably going to strike out more. That's how it plays out. That's really how it plays out because their mind is on the wrong thing. Their mind is thinking of negative outcomes. Their mind is visualizing things that they should not be doing. And our mind is really strong. As you all know, it's so strong that visualization part of our mind, our mind's ability to visualize things is, is it really can imprint into our way of moving forward. And it does change our actions. And I should say influence our actions and our outcomes moving forward. Now, to what degree? Who knows exactly, but show me a guy who's afraid to look bad. Show me a kid who's afraid to look bad and I'll show you a guy you can beat every time. In other words, I'll show you a kid that can be beat every time. Lou Brock, the great Lou Brock, throwing it back old school with Lou Brock. Hopefully some of you are big Lou Brock fans, bringing it back old school, old school baseball right there, Lou Brock. All right, let's finish up. I got an outfield tip, turning and throwing it straight to the base during practice, during a training drill. I would run this drill to get our outfielders to get the ball into second, into third, and into home much faster. So there's a big problem if you've coached more than a season or even just one season, but multiple seasons or long enough, you see this, you've seen this a lot. Outfielders will go and get the ball at the fence. The ball's to the fence, either in the gap or down the line. They have to turn their back and run to go get it. They pick the ball up and they spin around and then they have to pick up their target. They have to, they turn around and they kind of orient themselves. They, they find out, they kind of observe. They look to see where the runner's at. They kind of look to see where they should throw. They kind of, it's definitely a one second to two second hesitation. And when the runners are running fast, one or two seconds is a game changer. The baseball community community has done a good job of coaching up the communication part of this. In other words, the relay or 
or the teammates, the other team members on defense yelling out or the coaches yelling out where the ball should go. And three, 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 four, 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 two, two, two. And it's also been coached up well and practiced for the most part. But something that I think is a huge competitive advantage that doesn't get coached up very often is teaching the outfielders to trust the turn and throw. Trust turn, throw, the triple T. And now how do you get to that? And how do you build that trust? Well, outfielders are only throwing it to three spots, three spots for, I mean, that's really it. They're throwing it to second base or to the cutoff person in line with second base. They're throwing it towards third base. That may be straight to the base. If they got a, a short throw from left field, typically if they're throwing it to third base, there's a cutoff or a relay or they're throwing it to home. But at the end of the day, outfielders, if you think about it, only have three angles in which they will ever throw the ball. And that angle will be the same on every single baseball field for the most part. In fact, almost every spot on the field and every field will be the same angle because the bases, the diamond baseball is the same angles across the board. Now the outfield fence may or may not be there. It may have different, you know, maybe funky left field, maybe bigger than right field. The foul territory might look different, things like that, of course, but the angles in which they're going to throw at almost never change. It's always going to be the same angle. So if they run to get a ball, say the right fielder runs to get a ball down the right field line, they should be able to, if they're told 444, 222, they should be able to train themselves to turn. And as they're turning, they're ready. They're literally already starting their throw to that to that spot. Now, they should know that if it's right field, they're throwing at the third base or even second base at most levels. They're not going to be able to get it there on the fly. I know stronger players definitely can get it to second base for most outfield fences on the fly. But that's also not always a good idea. Hitting that cutoff, man, is very important in almost all circumstances circumstances, not every, but almost all circumstances, you want to hit that cutoff person, teach our outfielders to get to the ball, trust, turn, throw, trust that they can turn and throw fast. Now, when you first start practicing this, so what you're going to do is you're going to go out there and you can start with the baseballs out along the fence, or you can hit them. You should move through this drill fast, but you have the outfielders either just go out and you as a coach, while the previous drills going on, have one of the coaches go out and dump a bucket along the outfield fence all the way across, scatter it across the outfield fence from foul pole to foul pole, even some in foul territory, or you can hit them as the drill develops. You can hit the balls to the fence, either one. And you're having your outfielders go from their setup position or their starting position, their typical starting positions. Doesn't have to be exact. Don't worry about it being a poolside, a hitter that pulls the ball or doesn't pull the ball or two strike adjustments with your outfield. Just set them up in the middle and in right field, in the middle and center, in the middle where they might normally play, just dead straight ahead, dead ahead in left field, center, right. And then have them sprint one at a time, boom, sprint to the ball. And then as they're getting to the ball, have their teammates or you as a coach just yell out. I would randomize it a little bit, but I would say between, I, you may just keep it simple at first and just say, hey, we're going to here and have them, all right, go. And that right fielder sprints to the the ball. He sprints to that ball that's out by the fence by the foul pole. And as they get it, you're telling them, I want you to pick that ball up and turn and chuck it right in. I don't want you to turn and look at your cutoff person and then throw. I want you to turn and start your throw before you've completed your spin. And as you're finishing and as your eyes pick up that cutoff person, your teammate, you should be about halfway done with your throw and the arm should almost be coming up as you pick up that person. Now, this may look ugly at first. That's okay. That's the whole idea. You just want them to get rid of it fast. And so how this plays out, I'm just trying to give you the parameters. You want to get a lot of reps in. You want to have a lot of throws. You want all your outfielders to run out there, grab the ball, turn, spin, and throw it and hit their teammate in the chest, ideally in the chest, aim for their hat, get rid of it fast. What you're trying to do is teach them to trust that they can spin and throw it fast. They don't need to spin, orient, check it out, figure it out, look at the 
angle. Oh, pick up. They should be able to spin and throw and they should know the angle and they should get used to that angle. And it does force them to get the angle or at least think about the angle as they're running to get the ball. As they're about to pick up the ball, they can start to think, well, I'm facing this way and I know second base is on the same spot on every baseball field and third base is at the same spot on every baseball field and home is the same. Then I know that if I spin X amount, I should be about lined up with my feet to make that throw. Or I should have, obviously, if a right fielder, say a right fielder goes to the foul pole area to get a ball, a double down the line, or possibly a triple. Let's say they're going out and the ball, I would say this is going to thirds. Let's say nobody's on, ball down the line to the fence. That's going three, right? Right off the bat, you're going three. No pun intended. It's going three right off the bat. And you will run that right fielder, will sprint to the ball, and they should be, as they're getting to it in their head, they hear three, three, but they should probably know that it's going three. But if they don't, they hear their teammates yelling three, three, or the coach is yelling three, three. As they get to that ball, they should have a sense of awareness as they practice this more and more. Some of your kids that have played more are going to be able to do this better and faster. They should know about where third base is aligned with their back. So they're going to, if it's going to third, they're going to have to come out of that and reverse pivot more than they would if they're throwing to second. So the throw to second would be the least of the, the swivel and throws of the pivots. It, going to home would be the biggest drop step kind of reverse pivot of the three and so on and so forth, as you can all see and visualize. I would do this in center. I would do this in left. And this teaches your outfielders to get comfortable turning and throwing quickly. Now in the subsequent games, they may not go as quick. They may not spin as quick and throw and just chuck it right away and be perfect. But it is something that if they practice, they will get so good at. And you'll see the great outfielders, they'll spin and throw and they look at their target, but they pick up their target at the very last second, a la like Fernando Valenzuela used to pitch looking up at the sky and then pick up his target late. There was pitchers that used to spin around and then pick Kevin Brown would turn around and pick up his target and throw a lap. I'm not saying that's ideal as a pitcher. In fact, I, as a pitcher, as a coaching pitchers, I want my pitchers to have their eyes level and on the target the entire time. But with outfielders, this is not doable. This is not something they can do, of course, because their back is to the play as they have to go get the ball. But have them be able to spin and throw quickly and hit their cutoff, man. Spin, throw quickly. Ideally, you might even have this to where you have the balls all out on the fence and you have one cutoff person and not, I don't think you should waste a player at second, third, or home for this. This should That could either be a coach who's catching the ball or a screen. You could just have one of the, the infield, if you have a screen, an L screen or an, an extra screen, put a little tape on it, a little square, a little target, and leave that at second base. And that's, I would use a relay person on this. I would designate a player to be the relay because I think that transition catching and transition and throwing is really good to practice that. But catching and tagging for this drill, I think could be done at a lot better scale doing another type of drill. And thus you can have more players in the outfield doing it and more players focused on relays rather than just catching and tagging. I think that's something you can really scale doing other things. All right. I hope that gives you an insight into how I'm thinking about a drill and how I'm breaking down a drill to optimize drills. Again, if you're just following the baseball community out there, it's interesting. We all would agree that the baseball community, a lot of areas to grow on. And we're so quick, I think, across the board to say that there are a lot of flaws with the youth sports community, youth baseball community. But then every drill or everything we see out there done, we want to copy that drill or copy the way it's always been done. I'm telling you, every single drill you see out there another team is doing in the practice before yours or after yours can be done better. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And in a lot of cases, it can be done substantially better. Trust me on this. And so as you can see with that drill, it's the little things of that drill. Remember, 80-20 baseball, we're practicing heavily the big needle movers. We're focusing heavily on the big needle movers, but then we're diving into the details of those big needle movers. That was a sample of an outfield drill of getting the ball in quick.
quick and also mixing in the relays with it. So they're working on two parts. Your team can work on two parts at once, but you also notice how it's about efficiency. I said, hey, drop the balls out there before. You don't necessarily need to hit them because the ball getting hit or a miss hit just slows it down. You're really trying to isolate that one part and max out the quality reps. I wouldn't have a player at home or third or second. That's three players that could be getting reps doing what you want them to work on. And all they're doing at, at those bases is catching and tagging. And I think those types of moves, the catch and tag, catch and tag could be scaled a lot better doing other drills and just isolated catch and tag drills. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. I look forward to being back here next week. I will share out another on-ramping tip for the upcoming season. So I'll see you next week. Go over to 8020baseball.com. Get that free drill design guide. Follow on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball. I'm putting out three, four, five posts a week. I'm not trying to send out a bunch of junk. I'm just trying to send out some real paradigm shifters to help all of us coaches be better. Support the podcast. Leave a review, a rating on your podcast platform. You can donate. There's a link in this show notes summary to donate to keep this rolling along. Email me your success stories. Send your success stories. I got a great email just this last week from a coach who's all fired up and really appreciating the podcast, just getting a ton out of it. And that is really great to hear. It just fires me up to just keep bringing that top-notch quality content for all of you awesome youth baseball coaches out there. Thank you for being here. Until next week, take care of your health, especially this time of year. Take care of your families, your friends, and take this out there and use it. Take this stuff out there and implement it. Put it into play and you will be a better coach. I promise you will be a great coach. If you start putting this stuff in, putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, you will become a great coach. And thank you for being a coach. I'll say it on behalf of all your players and your youth sports community. Thank you for dedicating yourself and being a coach. You should be really proud of that. You are making a huge positive impact in the kids' lives, in your family and in your community, on your team. It's a really awesome role and you should be proud of yourself for that. So thanks for being a coach on behalf of all your players. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.